And Jesus, we just, as we listen to your word now, as we, as we hear what you had to say to us when the Bible was put together, as we hear what you've got to say to us today, and we just pray for just incredible amounts of the Holy Spirit to fill each one of us in this room, to help us hear your word, to help us hear your voice, to help us hear that voice in the choir. So I'm going to read some Bible now, and as I do, I would love us to just actually close our eyes as we listen to the words, if, that, if everyone's okay with that. So Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee. And a report about him spread through all the surrounding region. He began to teach in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled it and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. So he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. But they said, is this not Joseph's son? Jesus said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do hear also in your hometown the things that we've heard you do in Capernaum. And then Jesus said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of town, led him to the brow of the hill, that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. So you can open your eyes now. Um, hope that was helped you really visualize it. And I love this story from the Bible. But even if you've heard it before, even if it, or if it's the first time you've heard this, do you ever think... Wow, that escalated quickly. Yeah? <laughs> and I'd just like to clarify by there are absolutely no cliffs uh, in Fingerpost. So if you, don't, <laughs> if you don't like what I've got to say, don't get any ideas. And this, if this is the first time you've come to the Mount, we do have a complaints procedure that doesn't involve leading people up hills and pushing them off. So do, do get in touch. <laughs> yeah, Tim <Tim's laughs> thinks he's got a different way forward there. But either way, I do hope I can make a better first impression on you this morning. But first impressions, they form a lot about how we think of people. And I don't know if you realize that, but I'm always aware of that. I remember when I just turned, it was about 12, I just turned 12 and this newfound freedom, kind of the key to the city. I was allowed to go into town on my own. And I found myself in Wilco's. We, yeah, it used to be called Wilkinson's then, but we still call it Wilco's. It's Wilco's now. And I was in the smelly section looking for some body spray, right? 
And I was 100% sure I could find a scent that would make me at least 27 times more attracted to the opposite sex. I was, I, was, I was adamant that this would happen if I bought this particular right spray. Probably a bit optimistic, to be fair. But I was desperate to make a good first impression on any young people that I would come across. And you see, when I was growing up, and I don't know if you know this one, but the smell of the distinguished gentleman, it might still be. Does anyone know what it might have been? Lynx, it was, yeah, is it still Lynx? I know Lynx is still going strong, but when I was young, Lynx was the thing, right? You, you've probably seen it if, you, if you're, uh, what's that? Brute, brute, yeah. Yeah, not quite brute, no. It's <laughs> probably my dad, that one, but. But the thing about Lynx, the company was so committed to the cause that they went to some extremes to get these really original smells. I remember there was a Lynx Africa. I think that one's still, still going. But Lynx Africa, wow, the smell of an entire continent wedged into a six-inch tin can. How, how did they do it? Isn't that incredible? Um, or then there was Lynx Atlantis. I mean, this company had discovered the underwater lost city of Atlantis just for the purpose of making pleasing antiperspirant. It's pretty impressive, right? And then there was a, a Lynx Musk. And thankfully, it wasn't Elon Musk's armpit odor, just for the record. But worse, does anyone know what uh, Musk is? Anyone? No, it's not Musk. Sorry, did you just say that? But <laughs> Musk is, um, having Googled it yesterday, is actually the smell of the abdomen of a deer. Why are you spraying that under your armpits? What is going on there, right? I mean, you might find yourself walking around, a deer is just following you everywhere, but that's just weird, isn't it? Uh, I want to say oh dear, but I think Alice should tell me off for a dad joke there, so I'll move on from that. Um, but the, tr <laughs> the truth is, thankfully, none of them smelled anything like they were advertised. Um, and I'm pretty sure they were just Glade air freshener put into a different tin. But, you know, what would you know? Spray <laughs> air freshener there. But. but, you know, the thing that really struck me age 12, it wasn't the smells um, or the artwork or the amazingly exotic names that they must have took ages to come up with. But it was the tagline on the side of the can, because on the side of the can, it used to say, first impressions last. And that hooked me in, because I was like, wow, that's really important that I get the right spray then, isn't it? Of course, I had to make a first impression by smelling a bit like Superdrug, you know? Because first impressions, it's really a true phenomenon. This is a real thing. It's a real psychological thing. First impressions last. And this is one that Jesus is battling against in the synagogue at Nazareth in today's reading. So to put us in the picture, before our reading, Jesus hasn't long been baptized and filled with the power of the Spirit. And so he's just started teaching all over Galilee with this, with this power of the Spirit on a little tour of the region, spreading the gospel. But his teaching is so powerful, it's so gracious that people are just lapping it up. I mean, Jesus is blowing minds everywhere he's going. And he's getting a bit of a reputation in the wider area. And so he thinks, right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to head to Nazareth. And Nazareth is the town where Jesus is from, where he lived since he was four. It must be a special place to him. And as Sabbath day comes, he heads to the synagogue, which is like the church for those people of the Jewish faith. Only he's not a kid anymore. He's not four-year-old Jesus. He's a bona fide religious teacher now. Now, Nazareth was a small place, even smaller than the parish here. It was 400 people lived in Nazareth at the time. So you can imagine most of these people but have seen Jesus grow up, you know, from a little, little child all the way up. So you can imagine as word spreading, there's probably a lot of pride. Someone from Nazareth is becoming a bit famous, you know. Must be pretty cool, that, right, for the locals. So as Jesus gets up to talk at the synagogue, 
I bet all those people are just really interested to listen to little Jesus getting up. What's he going to say, right? Little cute Jesus kind of, yeah, must be pretty cool. So anyway, he gets up and he reads this incredible scripture from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And it goes on. You might know that, uh, that particular verse. But Jesus once again reads with such grace, such beauty, such humility that it just feels like the words are just coming to life off the scroll that he's reading. Could you imagine being there? And he finishes and he sits down. And not a head in this room has stopped watching Jesus now. They're fixed, they're fixated on him completely in his direction as he sat down. And so sensing this focus, sensing this moment, Jesus dares to add that little bit more. Today, he says... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What? Minds are racing all over the place now, right? What is he on about? What does he mean? What's this deep theological thought that he's brought to us today? Ah, oh, Jesus, you know, what's he saying? The good news to the poor fulfilled. Release to the captives fulfilled. Set free those who are oppressed fulfilled. This is radical teaching. Jesus is blowing minds again. But that's when the crowd starts to reflect a little bit. This fulfillment. Is he talking about himself? This is the carpenter's son. This is Joseph's son. Is he saying that he is the fulfillment? This boy we saw crying as a little toddler when he fell over. Didn't we see him playing in the streets as a little kid? Wasn't he causing trouble? Wasn't he strolling about the place when he was in his teens? And from that family, surely not, right? And so Jesus begins to sense this rejection. And maybe it hits him hard, or maybe he's expecting it. But either way, he speaks back to the people, he speaks the truth. And he says, no prophet is accepted in their hometown. Because he realizes that first impressions last. And those people in the synagogue... They can't see him for who he is. So as I spent a bit of time with this verse this week, I was preparing for today. And as I reflected on this, it got me thinking, who am I in this narrative? Who am I in this narrative? Am I the people from Galilee who Jesus has seen before? He got to Nazareth, those hanging on his every word, those listening intently to what he has to say, those willing to change even if it makes them uncomfortable. Is that me? Or am I the people of Nazareth? Am I the one who thinks I already know who Jesus is? And this attitude from the Nazarenes to Jesus that we see in this story is so true to life. We all create preconceptions, don't we? We've probably, already, all, we've probably all experienced preconceptions about us. Hands up if you've had someone have a preconception about you that's not entirely accurate. Yeah? Hands going up one by one there, yeah? I mean, it could just be simple as you've had a conversation with your parents offering some advice, but they still see the little baby that pooed all over them at three o'clock in the morning, right? <laughs> or it might be that um, you've had people judge you from an old way of life. They can't take their eyes off the old, broken version of you. They don't see the new you changed, full of the love of Jesus, but they can't see it. They can't see past their first impressions. And see, the people of Nazareth, they had a similar blockage, stopping them from seeing Jesus too. 
stopping them really believing what Jesus had to teach. Now, for me, this is where it gets interesting because the thing is, when it comes to Jesus, we do this all the time. There is no one who gets away from this. We mold and shape and sculpt and trim and stretch and squash Jesus to fit the way we want him to look, not the other way around. We take our morals and our own opinions on what's wrong and right, and we apply that to Jesus as though that's what he thinks. And we say, yeah, that's the Jesus I know, the Jesus I want, because it makes me feel good about what I do. That's my impression of Jesus. And by doing this, we make a distorted version of God, this homemade, homebrewed version of our Savior. And when we've done, we sit back because we're confident and we stop looking for the real thing. We stop searching for Jesus' real teaching and what he has to say. We stop following his advice because let's face it, we know better, right? We already know him now, don't we? Or are we losing sight of who Jesus is and what he really has to say when we open our Bibles? When we spend time in prayer. So Jesus loves you. You need to hear that, right? I need to hear that every day. We all need to hear that. It's so true. Jesus accepts us. Yes, he does. Amen, right? Jesus accepts us. Jesus meets us where we are because that's where we are. But he doesn't stop there because Jesus wants so much more for each one of us than we can possibly dream of. The real Jesus has so much to say. He just wants us to be ready to listen. If we look to the real Jesus, if we listen to his word, then we see a God who has plans for us, huge plans for us, for this town, for everyone we know. He's not a God who wants us to find Jesus-shaped loopholes for the way we currently live. He doesn't want us to use his grace for excuses for things that we know we shouldn't do. And he doesn't want us to use his love so we can get out of things we know we should be doing. But as we look to the real Jesus, we see a God who wants to change and perfect every aspect of our lives. To lead us down the right path. So we can also change and shape and bring love and bring Jesus into the lives of everyone around us and into our own hearts too. We can really know Jesus if we're ready to hear him. We can let Jesus in here and we can let Jesus out there too. And we can let people know through our actions and through our conversations that he died on the cross to set us free. To set us free from every false impression of him, of God. To set us free from every false impression of ourselves. So instead of spending our time shaping Jesus into the mold that fits our way of life, let him shape us into the shape he left on the cross. Radically loved. Radically loving. Doesn't get more radical than on the cross, does it? So what I'd love to do, let's open ourselves up right now. Let's hear and see what, who Jesus really is. Not our customized, worldly version of him, but the real him. 
Let's let Jesus' teaching and love guide our every decision, even the little ones. Because Jesus wants to reveal himself to you right now. He wants to tell you who he really is. He wants to show you what he wants from you in your life. He wants to teach you. He wants to teach me from a place of nothing but love. And he wants you to know how much he loves you and what he has for you. In John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, that is the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will guide you, will guide us to see the truth that is Jesus Christ. So just to, conf- just to say that again, when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will guide you to see Jesus. John 16, 13. Because only through the Spirit can we really know Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. I'd love to allow the Spirit to bring this truth into our lives. To bring Jesus in, the real Jesus. To remind us of who we are and to remind us of who Jesus is. So maybe let's close our eyes. Let's close our eyes. I'm going to invite the Spirit to do just that, to fill us with his presence, to reveal who he is. To take away all these preconceptions we've got of Jesus, that maybe over the years we've molded ourselves. Situations we've been through where we've we've kind of felt we needed to reshape Jesus because it didn't agree with where we were at the time. But now Jesus is saying, maybe you're at a place where you're ready to hear the real me. Maybe you're at a place to receive my spirit and see my face. So maybe you'd want to reach out, reach out your hand right now. And we're just going to say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. You are the spirit of truth. You point us to Jesus and we worship you. We thank you for all the things that you've done in our life up to now. But we want more. Jesus, we want more. Fill us with your spirit. Because we want to know you. We want to see you. We want to feel you. We want to see where you're taking us. We want to know the roads to take. just feel if there's any walls that are stopping us from seeing Jesus on the other side because we've painted a picture of him on the wall that looks a bit like us maybe you want to say in the power of the spirit we break that wall down we smash it to bits and as the dust settles there you are Jesus there you are just covered in light and we can see exactly who you are and what you want to teach us and where you want to guide us
And Jesus, we just pray. We just pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Just fill us with your love right now. Fill us with your peace. Show us where we need to be out in the community, in the lives of our family, in the lives of our friends, in the lives of ourselves. Show us the way, your way. And as we go out, in a moment we're going to worship, and as we do, I just say, just stay in that moment, just invite Jesus to show you who he really is. He wants to teach us, he wants to make things better in every part of our lives. And Jesus, we just, we, we ask for that now. Fill us with your love, fill us with your grace. Instruct us, tell us when we're right, tell us when we're wrong. We want to know it. Right now we're saying, Jesus, tell us when we're wrong. And tell us when we're right too. Spirit, keep filling this room in your spirit. So we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a worship song now, but don't feel the need to, to rush to your feet. Just stay in that moment as the music plays. Let it wash over you. Let the Spirit fill this room and wash over you from head to toe as you just seek Jesus and the face behind that wall. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.